and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Venner. So Paul is an experienced strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Ultimate Instability, who make Aquabags. And that makes him the perfect person today to discuss how you can use Aquabag-based training to enhance your athletic performance. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Paul onto the show. So Paul, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, sure. My name is Paul Venner and I'm an expert in movement optimization uh, to improve sports performance, but also general health. Uh, and I mainly look through an ecological approach uh, to movement uh, and the relationship between motor control learning and the context of training. And what kind of uh, work history have you had? Because that's uh, that's also super interesting to go through where you've uh, where you've worked and what you've done. So, uh, what have you what have you done work wise until now? Yeah, so I, I gained my first experience in strength and conditioning uh, and sports science at the Institute of Sports in Sydney, the New South Wales Institute of Sport. Uh, got my masters in strength and conditioning in London, St Mary's, uh, and worked for uh, five years uh, at the Olympic Institute in the Netherlands. Uh, directly the NSC NSF with many different national talent programs from swimming and rugby to female soccer um, and for the last five years I've been head of athletic performance for the Netherlands Baseball and Softball Federation uh, overseeing uh, the whole uh, performance uh, structure um, and besides that um, as soon as I started my career path I also started developing uh, the concepts of uh, ultimate instability and uh, training products, Aquabags, uh, Aquaball, Hydrovest, uh, and this uh, grew internationally to uh, an established training brand uh, yeah, with many additional digital services and courses and consultancy as well. So, so you've, yeah. been, you've been a very, very busy man over the last few years. Yeah. I've uh, punched my hours. <laughs> That's for sure. And I think uh, you get to enjoy a little bit of extra family time now uh, for all of your hard work, which is brilliant stuff. Um, but then in terms of uh, in terms of ultimate instability, right? Obviously, you, you saw uh, a gap in the market somewhere. Uh, why did you start then developing uh, Aquabags, right? Well, where did that come from? Yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to uh, study my uh, bachelor's in sports and movement and uh, I, this is where I met Franz Bosch, and I think many listeners will have heard that name before, and otherwise they can look back to the podcasts you've uh, recorded before. Um, but here, the main thing I learned was the importance of variation and improving adaptability, and like focusing on coordination. But everywhere I looked as a student in movement, uh, I came in practices, and whether it was the gym or the field or court or therapy room, uh, I saw professionals doing often like the same things over and over very predictable with precise programming uh, preset weights and pre-described sets and reps and striving for perfection uh, while actually in real life and sporting situations most times it are those situations that are unpredictable that happen suddenly and unexpected and where you need to adapt to the changing circumstances that are actually most crucial so i was kind of like scratching my own edge in finding better ways to bridge the gap between like training practice and actual context to improve transfer of training. And it was like during my travels after my internship in Sydney uh, that I got more and more fascinated uh, by the qualities of freely moving water 
yeah, because it's very adaptable and it can behave very chaotic as well. And uh, I thought, what if we can use those qualities in our movement training, uh, in our weight training? Uh, and, and from here, uh, the idea was born that by using those qualities, we could also improve our own adaptability and our own like movement quality. Um, so yeah, straight after graduation, I, I started with this and uh, through the past 10 years, it evolved to what it is today. I think that's a really cool story and it, it gives a lot of, uh, of inspiration for people just out of out of their university days to, to actually go ahead and start something instead of maybe sitting there thinking, oh, I can't do that or I'll just wait and maybe I need to learn a little bit more first. Sometimes you just need to do stuff, right? Because uh, a few years later, you've got a, an amazing product, uh, which is uh, all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really believe in learning as you do and, and learning through experience and uh, and through the process and so I, I'm a big advocate of, of jumping in it and actually like I was very naive when I started and I've made so many mistakes but through this I've learned so much that I could never have learned uh, in any other way um, and uh, yeah it, it's a whole process but um, if I knew in the beginning like all the struggles I, I would meet I would never begun <laughs> so yeah. it was actually good that i was that naive in the first place <laughs> i think there's probably uh some wisdom in there somewhere as well but uh in terms of then in terms of the theory which uh which underpins the the way that you you view movement and the the use of aquabags and um what kind of theory supports the use of this kind of training yeah there are a few different ways to address it um, the first one is looking from a motor learning perspective as we know from motor learning is that implicit learning, which means learning through direct experience without explicit verbal cueing and stuff, uh, is more robust in the long term and is better able to cope with high stress situations. So we avoid reinvestment and choking on the pressure, which is quite important, obviously, in high performance sports. Um, and in exercises, uh, with uh, like a dynamic, dynamic responsive load as with the water, uh, this kind of feeds the mistake of a movement. So if I'm performing, uh, for example, a single leg uh, Romanian deadlift uh, with a, a dumbbell, a fixed weight, then like a common error is uh, to open up the free hip and rotate outward. And with a fixed weight, uh, this can remain unnoticed uh, by the athlete. Uh, but if we do the same exercise with an aquabag, uh, if this happens and he opens up, then all the water goes from one side to the other, emphasizing this pattern and kind of feeding the mistake, uh, resulting in a, a failing attempt uh, and a need for the athlete to correct this. Um, so, so that's one way to address it. So implicit learning uh, without explicit cues. Uh, then if we look at, uh, at it from a motor control perspective, another important aspect of dynamic loads is that it creates more unpredictability in the force landscapes and the applied uh, forces on the body. And through this, it becomes harder, if not impossible, to predict the movement outcome in a top-down way. And therefore, uh, it increases the need for co-contraction control. So simply put, like if you uh, imagine that you reach out an arm and I apply a predictable force to it, 
and your task is to remain it stable and steady on one spot. Then you are going to fire all your antagonistic muscles to counteract this applied force. If I then would stop pressing your arm, uh, it will shoot up uh, because suddenly the counteracting forces are gone. So if you compare that with uh, the same situation, but now I'm going to apply an unpredictable force, so you don't know from which direction I'm going to press to your arm, then the only way to maintain your arm steady and still in the same position is to fire up co-contractions. And this is a, a simultaneous contraction of all involving muscles around the joint. Uh, and actually, uh, and this is a total, totally different like, way of co contracting than uh, agonistically, antagonistically. And actually in highly complex and very fast movements, uh, the body can only depend on this co-contraction control at specific points within the movement pattern uh, in order to maintain dynamic stability of the complex movement pattern in a way that the body remains protected uh, and, and won't hurt and has a high performance output. Um, and those points is also what uh, Franz called attractors uh, from a dynamic systems perspective. These are the stable points within the movement pattern um, that need to remain uh, yeah, very stable and protected uh, and very uh, precise. Um, and definitely, in particular, in an environment with a very high contextual related variability, so which means like a lot of opponents, game tactics, and changing elements in the environment, the need for co-contraction control increases even more because it becomes more unpredictable, uh, and we need to find a solution that's very local and bottom-up within the movement system um, in order to uh, correct and dampen errors. Uh, of the movement execution and like make swift uh, the shit decisions. Um, so th that are two important aspects: a motor learning perspective, motor control perspective, and then like the third one uh, I want to uh, uh, mention is looking at it from uh, the force perspective. Like what we know uh, about rate of force development, it is generally recognized as a like a very critical aspect of sports performance, uh, but very often is is looked at from a very reductionist approach. And all forms of rate of force development are addressed in a similar way. Uh, well, actually, there are very big differences whether we talk about rate of force development against the high resistance, such as Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, or rate of force development without or with a minimum external resistance as is the case in most sporting situations. Uh, and because there is uh, this very different way to improve rate of force development, it is also important to look at the desired goal because one form can become toxic for the other. Uh, so a practical example again, if we use an external load, this automatically leads to higher tension within the system. But if we don't have an external load, uh, within our actual context where we perform, then we need to uh, create that tension uh, within our system by ourselves. Uh, and so we need to, and, and this requir requires co-contraction control in order to build up this pretension and take away the slack of the system and, and prepare for uh, like the explosive movement that needs to happen. Um, 
And if we look at, at this co-contraction control, uh, there are three ways to train. And this is what I call the three P's for co-contraction training. You can either uh, improve like the pretension, so simply creating pretension in exercises before executing uh, and limiting counter movements. We can add time pressure, so more pressure to an exercise, adding constraints that enforce a very rapid movement execution and perturbations. And with that, I mean various forms of creating unpredictable forces, like adding noise and uncertainty to the mix, etc. And of obviously, like acrobags and, uh, but also the hydro vest, eh, which allows for more contextual sporting movements, uh, are very effective ways of playing with those piece and in particular like the perturbations uh, in order to improve co-contraction control and rate of force development in yeah, very specific ways. I think that's a super interesting. It, it gets three really, uh, not, not necessarily simple, but three clear key points, especially for team sports, which um, might have a lot of different things going on where you need to be ready to produce a lot of different forces in a lot of different directions. Um, but I think it's really interesting to then look through the, the theory that you've gone through there to make sure that everything makes sense. Um, but what I'm interested in now is to know how you then start to execute these movements, right? So uh, we know a little bit about the theory, but how do we put that into practice? How do coaches and athletes then use this theory and the, the aquabags or the hydro vest to improve performance? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, well, I'm not a black and white guy. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan of blended approaches. So although I said uh, uh, about rate of force development, for example, the, the negative effects of, of high resistance training, I do think there are also positive effects of it. And it's about finding like the optimal use of, of all of those. And actually, uh, one way that I really like to use these kind of equipments is actually that they are perfect for bridging the gap between like gym-based and field-based exercises and between prevention and performance-based exercises. So I think it is actually a great tool uh, to actually improve collaboration between like, physical therapists, SNC coaches and skill coaches um, and like blend all those different disciplines together. Um, so practically, I would suggest, for example, uh, combining a traditional strength exercise with an acro back exercise in a superset in the gym for example so that you actually uh, get different uh, qualities and different aspects of the uh, like strength power continuums uh, but also of, uh, it kind of negates the negative effects of the like for example the maximal strength exercise uh, with it combined with a neuromuscular driven uh, exercise with the aqua back things like that uh, but also the same uh, on the field, like combining with, uh, speed and agility stations uh, during a skill training and applying acrobatic exercises within that continuum uh, and things like that. So uh, really blended in in all the things and all the areas. Uh, and, but not even that, like also as a standalone piece of equipment, um, because it's so easy to transport and uh, yeah, it's very effective for neuromuscular driven exercises, uh, which means that you also recover very fast and you can really activate the system. It, it's also a great tool for like 
training camps and game preparations and bring with you on the roads. So like many athletes and coaches that are on the road a lot, they just have it in their, like in their toolbox and yeah, take it, uh, use it at their disposal. And you can, you can just empty it of water, right? So they don't have to take away yeah. uh, kilos with them as well. Exactly. So it's just like a, a pair of jeans and uh, you take it, you fill it, pump it and, and you go. So like even during the, like the whole uh, COVID situation with uh, athletes having to prepare in hotel rooms and stuff, uh, it, it was a great way to get that additional edge to just like be able to get your system ready, like without many uh, much equipment or space or anything available. And then when it comes to um, different exercises and classifications, how do you then start to, to break that down? Because I think it, it's, it sounds really good how it all uh, can fit together, but it can be difficult for people to get to know where to start, right? So how do you then start to make exercise classifications and what kind of exercises fall under those classifications? Yeah. yeah. Again, there are many different ways to skin the cat <laughs> and, and literally like the biggest limitation is actually yeah, your own creativity. Um, because once you st start playing with it, uh, that options are kind of endless. Um, but what for me is one of the most important things is to always look at the quality of movement um, and make this like your, your, your main priority. Uh, and, but then from there also make it challenging. So if an exercise is 100% successful, it is boring and we won't learn. If it, if it is way too hard and we continually fail, then we lose motivation and we won't learn as well. So it's about searching for the optimal challenge point, which generally lies around 78% success. If you look at literature, but also like experiences of, of many coaches. Um, and I think this, like finding this optimal sweet spot, like this, this is where the magic happens. And often we think of progression in terms of adding more weight and more reps, but actually there are many ways to create overload and progress uh, within an exercise or within like qualities you want to improve. <clears throat> and for example, uh, by increasing complexity uh, and speed of execution, adding perturbations, etc., cetera, um, in particular for the neuromuscular aspects, this is where we get the most bang for our bucks and there often is a lot of low-hanging fruit in optimizing movement patterns, even in highly elite athletes. Uh, very often, uh, they are so already so at a high level at so many aspects, but it's just like cleaning up and tightening the uh, system that can <clears throat> bring really big uh, uh, performance improvements. And... Uh, this is also one of the most common mistakes that like very often like people fill up aqua bags way too much because we still think in this old paradigm of like eh, more is better and we compare it with like uh, normal weights but actually uh, you lose many of the benefits and options uh, that you can use with the dynamic loads so what i generally advise is to load them up between 3 to 10 liters uh, or 1 to 3 gallons um, to get the most out of it from a coordinated uh, and neuromuscular perspective. Um, and then there are a few other things that I'd like to suggest. Uh, 
to give a few like easy takeaway points and, and focus points when you start working with this because it is quite different than like the regular uh, regular weight uh, in terms of what you can do with it. Uh, there are three easy focus points that you can utilize in your exercises like immediately. One, the first is uh, trying to keep the water as still as possible, make as less noise in the water, as less movement in the water. Uh, and this is great for more proprioceptive and slow exercises and like warm up and stuff like that. Uh, but also uh, can be used as a cue in very quick movements. For example, uh, scissor jump, which then uh, provides a great implicit cue to actually build more pretension and like keeping the head still and stuff. And what, what does a so, scissor jump uh, entail? For those who, who might uh, be wondering what that looks like. Yeah, so you're standing in split position, you jump up uh, uh, and in mid-air, you close your legs and then you uh, take them back in the initial position. Uh, so it's like in the air, you they go together like a scissor and back opening up, you landing at the same position as you started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so an example of an exercise that is really fast and, and needs you to move really fast, uh, but normally you can kind of cheat by jumping up really high uh, and taking more time to perform the movement. But if you're now going to cue it that you, you shouldn't move the water at all, uh, then all of a sudden there's a lot of time pressure because now you you have to move, really move as quick as possible without any uh, movement and oscillation of the water in the head. Um, and this, again, is, is a way of cueing that is totally external and, and implicit, uh, but it, it totally gets the, the, like bangs the nail on the head. Um, and like then the second uh, focus point is actually uh, trying to move along with the water during exercises. And this is great for more focus on rhythm and flow. In, in movement patterns and also from this we know that like rhythm is also really low within the nervous system like central pattern generators all very low in the nervous system uh, and also very good from a learning and control perspective to focus on, on those qualities and uh, then actually the the movement of the water and the sound of the water helps in focusing on rhythm and flow uh, but also uh, moving more towards all planes of motion uh, instead of like traditionally in the gym we we fixed very often as the weight gets up uh, to the sagittal plane uh, but now with the dynamic load because you got inertia of the of the water you actually uh, can move along many planes of motions and, and get impacts from very from a lot of different directions uh, which also really builds the whole tensegrity structure of your anatomy so a tensegrity a tension uh, through the uh, the tension within the body uh, creates the integrity of the structure um, and if we want to train the fascia we need to uh, train it and challenge it in, in all directions to really build this tensegrity structure so that's also a way i look at designing exercises to create impacts from all different directions uh, and train this whole structure and um, uh, which also is how we move in in context right if we perform uh, a supporting skill it's almost never 
uh, if not never, like only in one plane of motion. It's always going through multiple planes of motions and a lot of degrees of freedom. Um, so that's two. And then three is uh, trying to actually move against the water and create uh, as much noise as possible and really create a high impact uh, load of the uh, within the water. Uh, and this is uh, yeah great, also great to to really train the fascia and the, and, and the tension tendons with high impact. Um, and then once you uh, focus on these things separately, like then you can start mixing it up and combining it actually. So you start like really moving as low as, so as possible, keeping the water as still as possible, and then papam all of a sudden make a, a very quick movement and trying to hit the water as hard as possible and then uh, make a rotation and flow with the water uh, and uh, yeah these ways you really create more feel within your movements i think that's some some absolutely fantastic advice and i'm i'm really interested now to see how you put that into context right so we've gone through all of the the interesting theory stuff we've gone through how you can practically apply it and break it down um what does that look like for you then in a in a training session because obviously uh, you're going to use this in your day-to-day training so if you were to to take a case study or an athlete how would you then go about using these different techniques in a training session yeah so that's that's a uh, that's a very nice one um yeah because it's so context dependent and individual um yeah it can be really different depending on on the person and and, and the type of case you take but i want to take a case that's uh more generally applicable something that that you that's a, a common error you see in movement patterns uh in which it's it's very effective to apply uh, if we look at running and we look at pelvic control, we see that many athletes have a problematic pelvic control, like they have a pelvic that collapses forwards, you know, anterior pelvic tilt, and this causes many problems and performance leaks down the chain. Uh, and by adding acrobatic exercises uh, within the through the whole uh, program, from uh, very local and more gym based towards like more contextual and field based. But these principles can be integrated through the whole of the training program. So, for example, uh, like a local exercise would be like going from a kneeling position uh, and from there starting to play with the forces of the acrobat in different positions uh, and moving to a half kneeling position. So actually uh, moving one leg up uh, and putting it down. Uh, so we work around the, the, the pelvis area from many different di- uh, directions. And while we, we do it, we perform many different movements with the acrobacks, moving it uh, down uh, to overhead, moving it like diagonally, uh, working with a halo, uh, creating those impact loads. Uh, so really challenged uh, the core and the pelvic to remain in their optimum length and with, within their uh, the right position. Uh, while putting all these different forces and stresses upon the system. Um, And then towards uh, more on-field stuff, like during running drills, for example, like performing A-skips and high knees and all different coordinative patterns, well, then taking the acrobat 
also through various positions. So for example, in the front of the body and then like rotating it. So all the water goes from one side to the other side while we need to perform like those high knees. So then the, the abdominals and the, the pelvis also really become put under pressure uh, uh, because they need to do this, this coordinated uh, high intensity pattern while all those different forces uh, are put on the system. Um, and the same like performing uh, the acrobat overhead and then putting it back into the neck and then back into the front. Again, uh, changing those positions and changing those levers uh, while we perform running exercises puts a lot of additional stress on, on the trunk and uh, pelvic control. Um, and yeah, I understand that this might all need a bit of imagination without like visual examples. Um, but yeah, that's also why we also have an app and e-learning and stuff where we provide plenty of exercise examples if people are interested to, to learn more about that. Um, where, where can um, they find that? Uh, yeah, through our website, ultimateinstability.com or uh, within the app store, Ultimate Instability. Um, yeah, and, and also on social media, we share many, uh, many examples. Um, but um, yeah, I, th I think th this is a, a brief case study that that, that shows uh, some uh, applications from like local gym based to uh, field based and more contextual. And yeah, uh, yeah, basically that that's yeah, one example of how I uh, apply it in practice. Absolutely fantastic. So, Paul, massive thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been a super interesting chat. So, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, man. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Paul for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more on different ways of training, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes and we can get you in the Coach Academy for seven days completely for free. So click that link in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, I would really appreciate it if you can give us a like and a share on social media. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.